This is the Horse Radio Network. I'm Stacy Westfall, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show, the Western Dressage episode. This is episode 572 on the Dressage Radio Network. The topic of today's podcast is impulsion versus speed. Simone Windler joins me for the judge's view and Francis Carbonell joins me for the training tip. But before we dive into those interviews, Diney Swanson is here with me to discuss from some new developments in Western dressage, including the largest breed registry in the world, recognizing Western dressage as an official class. Hello, Diney. Hey, how are you? I'm doing very well and I'm super excited. I have a question for you. Am I entering my horse on the 4th of July in the first official AQHA Western dressage combined thingy? <laughs> I, I cannot say that for sure that it is the absolute first, but it is one, definitely one of the first. Uh, we are, we are, yeah, we are really, really happy. We are, we've got a, uh, an alliance partnership with AQHA now. Um, and the, the great thing for us is that they are awarding Western dressage points and they are using our WDAA trained USCF licensed Western dressage judges. Oh, I'm so excited. So, yeah. So any, uh, Western licensed Western dressage judge, all they have to do is fill out a couple of forms and join AQHA and they can get a Western dressage specialty card. And then, you know, the shows that they judge can be AQHA approved. That is awesome. It is so exciting for me to hear this because the AQHA, the American Quarter Horse Association is the world's largest breed registry. And it's obviously in America, it is the largest um, association active here in the country. And there are so many horses. And for me, when I was showing last year in traditional dressage, it was super fun kind of to be like considered a non-traditional breed while I'm riding on an American quarter horse because everything else I do with my quarter horse we're the traditional thing in reining or the traditional thing in ranch riding or like that's the horse that does that sport. So it was super fun to go out there and do uh, traditional dressage and get AQHA points. So my horse earned, I can't remember, 14, 16. I earned quite a few AQHA traditional points last year. So to finally have this rollover into the Western dressage, I am very excited because I think it could be really good for all the industries because when somebody comes in and tries Western dressage with their quarter horse, I think that making the leap over to to try out the traditional might naturally happen too. So I'm just excited all the way around. I think it's a win-win-win. Oh, absolutely. And the the cool thing about it is that exhibitors demanded it. Mm. Um, It was the, the major push came from quarter horse owners and exhibitors that, that they wanted this. Yeah, that is. And AKHA listened. And yeah, so it, it's a win-win for everybody. It really is. And so I'll have to report back to you the next time we record, because I'll be going down to the Kentucky Horse Park and showing over the 4th of July weekend in this AQHA approved, if not the first, very early on show. <laughs> so Great. excited. Great. And then I heard that it's official about this podcast. Your podcast is the official podcast of WDAA. Yeah, this this episode of the Dressage Radio, uh, the Western Dressage Edition, is the official podcast of the Western Dressage Association. And yeah, that's exciting for everyone because I think it's a great way for them to get news. And I... I hope they're listening to all the episodes because the crossover between the two is just the training is so natural to to listen to all the episodes that I think it's a great thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're, you know, we are friends and, and <laughs> close relatives of dressage, of classical dressage. So mm-hmm. it's all good. 
It is. I love that. I love that the judges, you know, all the judges I've interviewed so far judge both. And that's super fun for me because I'm showing in both and it's just fun to hear it. Yeah. And I love that they're so related. And then I've heard that the plans are still on to hold the world show. So can you give me an update on the world show? Yep. Uh, the board voted last week that we will hold the world show. We we hadn't said we weren't going to, but we were, you know, kind of weighing uh, what what was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And we sent out a, a survey to all of our members and they were able to tell us if they were going to come, um, even with pretty strict uh, re- you know, regulations and requirements of them. And we had enough that said, heck yes, we're going to come no matter what. <laughs> so we will be holding the show. Um, there will be, this is a USCF licensed show. So, you know, there will be requirements, um, you know, for face masks and social distancing and the such. But uh, it's a, you know, we have several months in between now and then. So, who knows yeah. what what it's going to look like at the end of September, but we will plan for the worst and hope for the best. Yep. yep. Uh, I think that sounds like life right now. And the dressage, you know, just the way dressage works and Western dressage, we're probably, we probably have it the easiest as far as social distancing goes. Um, mm. And, you know, being able to follow those rules. And I, I spoke to our show secretary this morning, who was also doing that, that Kentucky show, uh, Susan Peacock, and they have got it figured out. They are all digital. There is no contact. Even your exhibitor packet is waiting for you in your stall. You don't have to go to the show office anymore at all. It's, it, they've really, you know, it kind of forced us to all think outside the box. Mm-hmm. And it's working. She's she's done it at, at several shows and it's working great. Yeah, that's great to hear. And that's a, you know, having just been down to that facility last year, I can totally see how open air and very well set up it is for, you know, being able to keep it very, to fit all the guidelines for the strictest places I've been. It, you could still, I could still see how you could easily do it in the way that that whole system is set up down there. So I could see it happen. Yeah, it's, it should work. And then also we will um, we will be applying for AQHA approval for the World Show. So that'll be another place for people to get points. That is so exciting. That's awesome. So <laughs> that's, that's three big things. The podcast is the official podcast of the WDAA, the Western Dressage Association of America. AQHA is now giving points to Western Dressage show uh, you know if they're approved and and all that stuff and so that's that was super nice and then um yeah world show is on that's awesome do you have anything else to add or did we kind of cover it all for now i think we covered it for now awesome (laughs) just yeah keep your eye open because we've got a lot of new stuff coming (laughs) very good well thanks again for joining me and if people want to keep you know updated on the world show or anything else i'm guessing they go to Western Dressage Association of America.com? Either either www.westerndressageassociation.org okay. or wdaaworldshow.org. Okay, .org. Very good. Both will take you. Awesome. We'll put links to those in the show notes. And thanks again for joining me. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. No words can describe the depth of the bond between a horse and his person. A kiss at the gate just before you turn him out. The soft touch of his muzzle on your hand as he scoops up the treat out of your palm. The warmth of his body under your legs as you saunter bareback across the pasture. The beat of his hooves as you gallop in perfect rhythm cross-country. The sensation of flying as you clear the oxer the sense of peace that comes over you as you walk together down the quiet trail. The sound of him contently eating his dinner. The feel of his warm, soft coat under your hand. The feeling you get when it's just you and your horse. It's why we do what we do at Kentucky Performance Products. This feeling is brought to you by Equijewel 
fight back against an energy crisis that can impact condition and performance. Equijewel is a high-fat, low-starch and sugar formula that was developed to safely meet the energy needs of your horse. The horse that matters to you matters to us. Joining me for the judge's view is Simone Wendler, who's originally from Germany and now lives in Colorado. She's a large R Western dressage judge and a USDFL graduate. She's the past president of the Rocky Mountain Dressage Society, and she's managed numerous regional championships in Colorado and Utah. Simone is also a certified instructor with the RMS Classical Riding Academy in Germany. Her writing and teachings are based on a thorough understanding of biomechanics. And before I even begin, I'd like to thank you again for recording this a second time with me because I had a technical problem the first time. So here we go again, Simone. <laughs> I'd like to discuss uh, impulsion from the judge's point of view. So yeah. I'd like to know how it plays into the scores and just kind of have a conversation about the different expectations as the horses move up the levels. All right. Where would you like to start? I think I'd like to start with the idea of speed versus impulsion. Because I think that's okay. something that I was, uh, you know, when somebody first brought it up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can totally see that. So kind of from the judge's point of view, is that a, point, is that a problem you see often, people mistaking speed for impulsion? Yes, absolutely. And I think... The challenge for us judges is to try to express in our comments, uh, express it in a way where we don't get you to speed up. Because a lot of times, if, if that's the comment that we make, the horse needs more impulsion, then people go home and just run them off their feet. Mm. Uh, and that's, of course, not what we were looking for. Uh, when you look at impulsion, impulsion always implies that there is a moment of suspension, mm -hmm. which means that you don't really see impulsion in the walk because mm -hmm. the walk doesn't have a moment of suspension, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you only have suspension when you go to the trot or jog or when you go to the canter or the lope. Um, and uh, what you're looking for is you're looking basically for something that in a way looks a little bit like springiness, if mm -hmm. you so will. Um, and that, that really is impulsion. Uh, and probably one of the best ways to explain why impulsion is not speed is if we were to play music. Uh, if you think about a freestyle and let's say you have a lengthening in there, uh, a lot of times people or judges will then say, well, it needed more impulsion. It needed more forward. It needed more energy. It needed more of this. Mm -hmm. But when you think about the music that plays for your jog piece in your freestyle, um, all you would have for your lengthening is a crescendo. You would not have a different piece of music, a faster piece of music you would simply have a louder piece of music. And if you've ever watched a freestyle, you know exactly that as the audience, when the music starts to swell, you get all excited because you go, oh boy, here it comes. <laughs> they got to go across the diagonal and it looks like fantastic, right? Yeah, it's so exciting because I'm thinking, now I've got to go watch Charlotte and Villegra one more time looking for exactly what you just said. <laughs> right. Right. But, but, but you know it automatically. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why freestyles are actually so, so um, popular, uh, both in, in the classical dressage world as they are in the Western dressage world, for the uninitiated audience. It's still something that's joyous to watch because you watch the music and the horse and it looks like the horse is dancing to the music and and it's something that even somebody that doesn't know what a flying change is they can't appreciate that mm -hmm. whereas if you watch dressage all by itself the dressage or western dressage um, and you don't know anything about it a lot of my friends that are not into horses have 
kind of compared it to watching paint dry, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you go, yeah, okay. I mean, all right. <laughs> it's not that exciting, maybe. But impulsion is what makes it exciting. Impulsion mm. is the difference between a ride where as a judge, I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, versus I want to get out of my judge's booth and push you a little bit. <laughs> so do you see differences in the mistakes? Like if somebody's showing and there's a struggle with impulsion, let's say at in a basic test versus a fourth level test, can you kind of walk us through how those, what, what we might see different for, um, I don't know, maybe there's overlapping, maybe there's similar mistakes or problems that you see. Or can you walk us through kind of a comparison between the two extremes on like the basic level versus like fourth level in Western dressage and impulsion? Well, if you have a more trained horse, which you would hope for at a higher level, uh, then you would expect you would expect that the rider can, in a way, place the feet more. I think that's that's probably really what happens. Um, as the horses gain more mobility up the levels, more impulsion, more uh, up the levels, the transitions are supposed to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've heard the supposed to, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is not always the case. and. <clears throat> Transitions is actually exactly where the impulsion most of the time is lacking. Yeah. Um, if you have no impulsion uh, going into a transition upward or downward, it is very, very difficult to ride a good one. It's actually impossible to ride a good one, I should say. Mm-hmm. Now, I just said that you don't really have impulsion out of the walk. So in the walk, uh, we, we talk about energy. But if you look at the description um, of what we're looking for in the horse, there is somewhere there is this this wording of an eager horse that is willing to go forward that that looks like it really wants to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you have that, that is really what impulsion implies that the horse is eager to do that. Um, and if you have good impulsion before and after your transition, then your transition is successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens as you are going up the levels is the spots where you have to put your transition are getting more and more and more tight. Mm-hmm. So at the intra level, at the basic level, a lot of times, uh, depending on what type of transition we're talking about, um, it says, do it between this letter and that letter. And it gives you a lot of room. Mm-hmm. to place your transition and maybe, you know, make a few more adjustments before you actually have to do it. Uh, when you get to level four, it says, do this transition at letter, whatever, B, E, K, M. And then almost immediately afterwards, do something else and then do something else. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so, so you need to be able more and more and more to ride the hind legs. And that's really, when you think about impulsion, a lot of times I explain to people that what happens is at the horse, as the horse gets more and more trained, they have the ability to stay on the ground longer with their hind feet. We call that increasing the deceleration phase. And as they are, it's almost like they're going into a little squat, if you so will. Mm-hmm. And the more they are able to do that, the lighter they get in the front. Mm-hmm. The more they have the ability to push themselves off in the front, the lighter they get in the front. And the additional effect that you have as a rider is the horse that has better impulsion and better balance is much easier to sit. Mm-hmm. So when you think about how the energy is transferred through the horse's body, you look at the hind feet going behind you, right? I mean, the hind feet are behind you. Mm -hmm. The more they come onto the horse's body, the more that energy transfer hits your spine in almost a vertical fashion. Mm -hmm. The more they are out behind, the more it hits your spine at an angle. 
the more it hits your spine at an angle, at especially at speed, at jog or lope, the more it's going to move you around. Mm-hmm. So if the horse is very much underneath itself and that energy becomes very vertical, and that's what happens as the horse moves up the levels, the more vertical it gets, the easier it becomes to sit. And you can just sit there and smile and look super cool, <laughs> right? Um, when you look in, in Western dressage, we do not have Piaf, but in the classical dressage, we have it. And when you think about Piaf, how easy, if you've ever sat on a horse that Piaf's well, how easy is that to sit? Yeah, that's piece of interesting. Cake. That, that is a really, uh, yeah, interesting. It's talk. a piece of cake in comparison to sitting trot on a, maybe a basic level horse or an intra horse or even a level one horse where the hind legs are still kind of behind the horse mm-hmm. and the energy hits you completely different. Um, and if you have a relatively smooth horse, maybe you can sit it well, but if it's a horse that, you know, moves a little bit more in the back, it might be fairly uncomfortable. The first thing it makes me think of is when I'm riding colts and, you know, those first, when I'm first riding them, they don't have strength and balance because they're in their first five, 10, 20, 30 rides. And you're very correct. Like that's where, when I'm listening to you talking about the angle of that, that's where I'm thinking, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I end up in a half seat standing kind of a sitting right. is not an option right. because it's, it's it not going to benefit either exactly. of us. That's really interesting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. And it's because the energy hits you in just uh, not a good way. And, and so as you are training a horse up the levels, even a horse that was maybe more difficult to be able to sit on at the lower levels should get better. It should get easier to sit as it is more trained, if it's correctly trained. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course you have differences in horses depending on the breed. You know, some horses will always be a little bit more bouncy feeling than others, or even just in within the same breed. Uh, one horse feels totally different than another. Of course they do. They are all individual. Um, but if they are more and more and more trained, Uh, They become easier and easier. And yet you have the other thing that happens is as they are more trained and they optically start to actually look a little bit shorter Mm -hmm. because they're more together. The the distance between their hind feet and their front feet just becomes shorter as the hind feet are able to step more underneath your seat bones. Uh, When that happens, they also become laterally a lot more mobile. So again, when you sit on your youngster, Besides the fact that they wouldn't necessarily understand what a leg yield is, it would be very difficult to move them sideways intentionally. Mm-hmm. I mean, they move that way by accident, uh, but you can't intentionally come across the arena on a really young horse like that because it's just, it's a scramble with the legs mm-hmm. at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Whereas if you have a more trained horse, that's what you can do. You can, you can start turning them sideways you can send them sideways a little bit um you can make shorter turns tighter turns in 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 the western world uh we we then have uh as we're moving up the level the the levels we see these turns on the forehand turns on the hind end uh that get tighter and tighter and then we go into basically something that isn't quite a spin but where they are allowed to keep the foot on the ground if we want that. Uh, and that you can't do that with a horse where the hind legs are away. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Um, now, when we were wrapping up the last time, I asked for a tip. And, and you said two things, and you've already mentioned part of it, which was the transitions and riding transitions. But you said something, and I'm going to let you phrase it because I was like, what? I want to go home and ride right now and find that out. And And you had mentioned that I said, do you have any tips for people in the, in, when they're showing? And you said, ride, and I'm going to let you say it, but you, you had advice on how to ride the transitions. Can you rephrase, can you phrase that for me again? Yes. <clears throat> so you always ride a transition as, in a way where you are starting the next gate, whatever the next gate is. So what happens is when it's an upward transition for people, that's easy. 
they all think, okay, I'm starting a jog, I'm starting a lope. But when they come from the lope to the jog or from the jog to the walk, then they always think about slowing down. And instead of slowing down, what you need to do is you need to start your walk. You need to start your jog out of that higher gate. Because if you do that, you have a completely different feel inside your body. Mm-hmm. And it takes that energy into the transition. Uh, and that's probably one of the biggest things we see in the transitions is that the horse is just completely, it's like you let the air out of them. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like it just deflates into that transition. Um, and and that's, you throw away a lot of points there. And when you look at your individual tests, what you will find is you will find a lot of tests where the transition scores are a separate score mm-hmm. and not just once in the test. It's, it's several times in the test. And by the time you, you add them all up together at the end of the test, that can cost you 2%, 3%, maybe depending on how good or how bad they are. Um, and just that different thinking, uh, I, I always seems to help my students a lot. When I work with them, all of a sudden, the walk looks like, because what you want to see, especially in the walk transition, I want to see that hind leg just go and march. Mm-hmm. Come yeah. down and march off. And normally what I see is they land on the front end and then they almost stop and then they walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you, as you, as soon as you phrased it, and then this time the, the wording that you used with deflating and, and, but as soon as you said, ride you're, you're I think you're dead accurate about like the riding the transition up you are t- I tend to think about like okay we're gonna go from a walk to a jog and that is a but you're right that I've, a lot of times I've thought about slowing down or stopping and I probably could even check my mind and, and see whether or not I was actually thinking I think that's why your phrasing caught me because I was thinking okay stop jogging you know instead of like slow this down there was something that when you phrase right. it the first time about start the walk and, you know, I was like, wow, that, and I just, I hope other people had that experience because I was like, what? That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And if people want to find you online, where should they go to find you? They're going to find me at uh, theelegantwriter.com. Mm-hmm. So that's all one word. And uh, yeah. That's that's where I'm at. That's where you can find out a little bit more about my teaching, my training, my judging, my yes. horse show managing, all of those things that I do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to record this not once, but twice. So thank you. My pleasure. And uh, I hope we'll do it again. We'll find another topic next time. For sure. I'm really looking forward to a talk <laughs> on freestyle. So I think I might have to talk to you then too. All right. Sounds fantastic. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief curve at totalsaddlefit.com. With me today for the trainer's tip segment, I have Francis Carbonell, who trains and competes in both traditional dressage and Western dressage. She has been involved in the horse industry for over 40 years, is also a founding member of the Western Dressage Association of America, which I keep stumbling on that name. (laughs) She's a multiple world champion in the WDAA at the second, third, and fourth levels, which is the highest level there is right now in Western dressage. Five-time freestyle world champion, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And, um, and she also helped organize the, and, and develop the Western Dressage Train the Trainer seminar that has over 500 graduates. She's a USDF bronze, silver, and gold medalist and very well qualified to be joining me today discussing the topic of impulsion. So thank you for joining me today, Francis. Well, Stacy, this is a big honor and I'm really flattered. I don't, I always am surprised when people want my opinion. So <laughs> I hope I can be of use to you today. 
Well, what I know is that I met you out at the Western Dressage World Show last year, and I was watching, you know, you and your horse ride, and it's it's really impressive, and it was very fun, and I'm going to use a lot of self-control and not talk about freestyle during this one, but I'm going to have to have you back on for the freestyle edition of the Western Dressage podcast because your horse and you know the routine that you came up with and I know that you do that as a profession and I'm trying not to go down a rabbit hole but it was amazing <laughs> it was well, inspiring that's so. probably the most joyful thing that I do on horseback it takes a well-trained horse and it takes uh, some musicality and some creativity and all of those things make it really really fun so I'd be happy to talk with you soon later yeah yeah that would that will be a fun one to do I'm looking forward to but for today what I'm really interested in talking to you about I've been working my way up the training pyramid talking about some of these different concepts and the focus of today is on impulsion and I'm going to make a guess, but I'd like your opinion on it. Is there a confusion between impulsion versus speed? Oh, my. Yes. Okay. And, and I will say that depending on the discipline that you're practicing, it can vary a lot. So what I like to tell people is that impulsion is the amount of energy that your horse willingly delivers to you to do anything that you want to do. So it's not a lazy horse. It's also not a really hyped up horse. It's a horse that's calm and relaxed, but ready to go and deliver an appropriate amount of energy for the work that you want to do. Mm -hmm. So it might be a little different if you wanted to do an extended trot or a jog, but it needs to be the appropriate amount and it shouldn't be something you should have to nag and bug the horse about. Mhm. Yeah. So um when you, now is there a cuz I kind of wonder sometimes cuz personally, you know, I'm playing around with the dressage concepts. Both I've been riding traditional and western and wow. and going to shows and getting a lot of incredibly valuable feedback on those tests that I really mm -hmm. like. But um is is the quickness or the the accidental speed is that a natural part of the training process? Like, do horses make mistakes and accidentally go faster when you're trying to teach impulsion? Well, of course they do. When they lose their balance, some horses go faster, some horses go slower. It depends on their temperament. Mm. But really, when you're talking about the amount of energy that they can reasonably give you, it it's connected to balance. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people make the assumption that faster is impulsion, but it's really not because you can run a horse off his feet and destroy his balance and his confidence in the process and create a lot of, of uh, worry in your horse. Um, or you can slow that horse down so much, which you see sometimes in some of the um, jogging stuff that people want to slow the, the, the speed down too much before they really have the hindquarters engaged and before they have the top line built. So they haven't they haven't really worked on the on the basic lower level of re rhythm relaxation and uh, that to me you know you have to have you have to find the the natural rhythm of the horse. Mm. I like how you just said that because uh, it was my mind was going you know down the road of impulsion and and the problem of speed which when you were describing you know like running the horse off its feet I kind of get this like. You know, this it always gives me this impression of like the horse, like like when I was a kid and I'd run downhill, and then you realize at a certain point, like your legs weren't able to keep up with the centrifugal, the force you have, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the force of going down. You're like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> yeah, you think you're gonna fall on your nose, and the horse does too. You know. Yeah, so. but what I really, really like that just um was kind of a a good little trigger for my brain was when you said when they go too slow too early because oh, I've experienced that in other places of training but I hadn't actually lined that up into here but I'm seeing what you're saying meaning when you slow a horse down and they're engaged that's mm -hmm. when you've got this collection at a slower gate and I think people right. and I know myself when I was learning it it 
you don't understand how hard, slow, and engaged <laughs> is. Yes. Oh boy, that's so right. And you have to have a lot of you have to have a lot of time in the saddle, really patiently building the horse's muscles and top line to 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 achieve that. They have to have a lot of balance to go slow. This, yeah. Um, you know, when I I've been in Andalusians for a long time, and when I first got my first Andalusian stallion, he was like the five thousand thousandth horse in the United States is all they had in the registry. Mm. So, you know, there weren't very many of them, and a lot of people didn't understand that they moved differently than warm bloods do. And what you have with warm bloods when you're doing working regular dressage is that they have this natural cadence and they have a lot of suspension and a lot of, not necessarily push from behind, but a lot of bowing. Mm -hmm. And um, that cadence, which is really rhythm plus a little extra chutzpah, um, (laughs) is something that they possess naturally. So do Frisians and some draft horses and stuff. But Andalusians have 16 trots. You know, they're very adjustable. But the classical or the uh, competition warm blood trainers were running these horses off their feet trying to get them quote unquote more forward Mm -hmm. and all they did was create a bunch of little sewing machines that were absolutely panicked Mm -hmm. and actually with those horses that need extra work on rhythm and regularity you actually have to slow them down just a little bit because they're hot they're hot horses, and if you let them go, they go pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to say, wait a second, let's find a little slower rhythm, a little bit more relaxation, take a deep breath. Now, if you're riding something that's really lazy, mm-hmm. then you might have to push that horse a little bit more than he would naturally want to go because he doesn't want to go very fast and want to work that hard. Mm-hmm. But the point is that you have to you have to observe the training scale so that you end up with like at first level it's the development of thrust and that that means push from the hindquarters that goes all the way through the top line into your hands now thrust does not mean 90 miles an hour it means that the horse pushes with its hindquarters and it goes all the way up to your hands softly. Now, would that be an example like going from a halt to a trot? Right, exactly. And you see that in the first level tests, you Mm -hmm. know, that that they don't walk, they don't halt and then walk and then trot. They're supposed to to trot off. Okay. Um, And then that's that thrust then as you begin to um, capture it, and the horse gains more balance, you can, you can start translating that toward collection. And I say toward collection because it's a gradual process. But again, this whole idea of the amount of available energy that the horse will give you is kind of what is a clue to me. Um, you can see somebody riding a nice little test and the horse is going around, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. But the judge will say it needs more impulsion. And the rider is scratching her head going, huh, I thought I was forward enough. Mm-hmm. Well, the horse might be pitter-pattering around, but he may not be engaging. He may not be pushing. He may not be using his top line and uh, giving the rider uh, very much of his available energy. Okay. So, you know, a word that you brought up when you were talking about the Andalusians that I think might, might might be a clue to what I'm thinking about as you're talking is like adjustability. So is that a key training thing that you, do you use adjustability because I've, I've gone to um, maybe all of my riding lessons (laughs) and had people be like, they need to be adjustable inside the trot. They need to be adjustable inside the, the well, lope. They need to be – is yeah, that one of the go. tools that you would use for impulsion then? Sure. I, I, and that's achieved by a thousand and one transitions. Okay. You know, you, you don't just – what I see a lot of Western riders who are new to Western dressage do is they go lope, screech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And yep. then, then they walk off, maybe after a couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. And the horse falls on his forehand. He props with his front legs, drops his neck, and they're all happy because he stopped quickly. Mm-hmm. But what's much harder is to do a lope to jog transition where the horse doesn't hesitate, doesn't fall on the forehand, doesn't drop his neck, doesn't prop with his front legs, mm-hmm. but just goes seamlessly from the lope to the jog and goes forward in a very good relaxed rhythm. And you don't even hardly notice that the horse has shifted gears. Yeah. That's the that's the goal we're looking for. And so I do a lot of trot, uh, canter, canter, trot transitions, whether I'm riding regular dressage or Western dressage, to develop that. And then once I have that, then I'll go back and I'll work on the walk to trot or the walk to canter. Mm-hmm. But and and actually, when you're talking about the development of thrust, those are those are walk to walk to trot is is probably a good first level exercise for that and then when you go walk to canter you're talking about even more rock back on the haunches and push off mm-hmm. um, now, go ahead okay when you're okay so when you're coaching someone and you're having them do those transitions so if somebody's listening to this and they're riding at home right now um, maybe because of the quarantine stuff or maybe just because they're not hauling you know weekly to yeah. a trainer how specific would you have them be? Would you have them have like specific markers where they're trying to do these transitions at? Like how specific when they're riding these? Well, thank you for leading into that. Cause you know, um, if you have even a, even just a field to ride in, you can still be very precise in where you execute your transitions and you need to learn to do that. Of course, in the beginning with the horse, when you have a green horse that's learning these things, it may take a little longer for you to uh, achieve a good transition. You might ask, and the horse might go, um, I'm not sure. You ask again, the horse goes, oh, I think I know what you mean, but he stops too soon, and you go, mm, whoops, let's try that again. Um, so you, you put out a couple of cones. And you say, in between these two cones, I'm going to make a transition. Mm-hmm. And then you go around to another spot in, in your field or your arena where you have a couple more cones up. And you say, okay, let's try that again over there. And little by little, as the horse gets better at it, you start saying, well, we're going to do it at the cone, not in between two cones. Mm-hmm. And the horse becomes more adaptable, more adjustable to your, your, your aids and, you know, kind of catches on to the game. Mm -hmm. So um, then, then you have something that's like you say, more elastic, more adjustable. And to me, um, then you can start thinking about um, moving up a little further in the training scale. Okay. That's awesome. So question about, and that's a great transition, moving up through not just the training scale, but it's also the, the maybe as you're showing. So is there a, like, say you've got somebody who, who starts out and they work their way up and they get to like first level and then they're moving up to second level. Mm-hmm. Where do you see, um, you know, I guess as, as we go up the levels, we're asking for, you know, greater impulsion and, and things like that. Where do you see people tend to start to hit some walls with really having a, you know, it feels like maybe th- there's really like, okay, you've, there's a concept here you've got to really master before you can move to this next level. Are there any things you see like well, that? Yes, I do. And, you know, second level is considered the great watershed for most <laughs> riders. <laughs> yeah. 90% of riders in dressage never make it to second level. Hmm. And part of it has to do with understanding how you teach the horse to engage the hind leg. And so you start with the the push from behind in first level, which is done usually on big curved lines and on straight lines so that you have an equal push from both hind legs. And that is very important because if the horse has one hind leg that is weaker, then you need to do remedial exercises to help that horse. And that doesn't mean he's lame. It just means like like you and me, where they're left-handed or right-handed. Mm-hmm. So when you get to second level, there's an exercise called the shoulder in. Mm-hmm. 
And there's so much misunderstanding about what shouldering is in, is intended to accomplish. Um, I have a very talented writer that has been working on the whole concept of shoulder in for quite a while. And he, for a long time, struggled with um, what he saw. What he saw from sitting in the saddle was what he thought he was supposed to see from reading and from, from listening to um, in lessons. Mm-hmm. But what he was getting was a lot of neck in and not much engagement of the hind leg under the horse's mass. Mm-hmm. So what has to happen in the shoulder in is the old concept of inside leg to outside rein. And boy, is that a mysterious idea. But the idea that the horse bends from the leg, stretches the outside of his, of his body into the outside rein, and then allows the half halt to rock him back so that he, when he steps under with his inside hind leg, he rocks back and that hind leg bends and steps under the, his mass and starts to carry more mm-hmm. of his, of his weight. And it's in the beginning, it's a, it's a very short duration. You know, a lot of times people do what they think is shoulder in and they're kind of going neck in or they're doing a leg yield, mm-hmm. which is not the same thing as a shoulder in, but they do it on, they, they do it, for way too long a time and they teach their horses to actually disengage the haunch as opposed to engage the haunch Mm -hmm. or they teach them to fall on the outside shoulder if they're pulling the neck around too much and of course then they think oh well i'm great and they go to their first show and they get crucified and then they're very confused that's why a second level is hard yeah you know you just brought up and i think you might have just um, help me click together, but let me ask you a question and see. So let's imagine there's a rider riding around the arena and they're riding counterclockwise around the arena. So the shoulders to the outside, ra- the right shoulders to the, to out to the rail. Okay. And they're practicing, they think they're practicing shoulder in. Mm-hmm. So from the rider's perspective, they feel like they're riding with the shoulder in, but let's say instead of shoulder in, it's actually a little bit more of a leg yield. Okay. I was reading one of the dressage books, which I'm going to have to pull up. I can't remember which one. And I, and they said one, they said one exercise that was really great was to ride shoulder in and then to go straight across the, like to like, so ride shoulder in, shoulder in, and then go straight forward and, and, and push off and look for that impulsion. But I think if I'm hearing you right, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because this just occurred to me, if you were actually riding leg yield instead of shoulder in, I'm going to guess that that push off and a straight across the arena would be very challenging. Well, yeah, because if you're riding leg yield down down the arena with the haunches to the outside and the shoulders to the inside, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times what's happening is the hind legs are falling out. Yes. And then when you want to go off on that diagonal to, to go straight, mm-hmm. The hind legs are not behind the shoulders of the horse enough to make that that push off very graceful and mm-hmm. useful. So um, when people ride begin to ride shoulder in, um, we most of the time they they think, oh, I put my inside leg back and I push the haunches out, mm-hmm. and then I have the angle that I'm supposed to have because they think, oh, if I have a thirty degree angle. And I'm going down the wall, I have shoulder in. Yep. But shoulder in is about bend and engagement, and leg yield is about yielding the haunches. That's why it's called leg yield. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think leg yield is a very useful concept mm-hmm. for helping the horse understand that he can move his haunches in response to the rider's leg. But the reality is, when you want to teach collection, you have to control the shoulders, not move the haunches. Mm-hmm. If you're moving the haunches around, like in a leg yield, basically what ha- what's happening is the horse has to be on the forehand a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you are actually moving the shoulders, either in front of the haunches or to the inside of the haunches, you are making that horse hold his haunches where, where you want them and transfer more weight to them so that he can move his shoulders. And that's the difference. 
And that's why people struggle so much trying to get to second level. Yeah, that was an excellent description of that. And it, like I said, in that, that exercise in that book, it didn't say why, but I could feel when I was doing it, I was like, ooh, that's, I like that. In, and that you just clicked together how that would actually be a great diagnostic tool for whether you were truly, you know, kind of, whether you were doing a leg yield, basically. But something else you just said there that's really interesting is especially coming f- with myself coming from the Western background, Western world and, and background there, there is a heavy emphasis on moving the hip. Mm-hmm. And and I believe you're correct in the fact that there that it can put them that it does put them a little bit more on the front end. And one of the places that I'm really having an interesting time playing with it is actually in a lot of the lead changes. Mm-hmm. Because I, there was this question in my mind, like, why do the Western horses look like they have a much flatter lead change? Like, it's actually ideal in a lot of the Western classes that you can't see the lead change happen. Like, if you were just watching the top line, you almost wouldn't know it happened. Uh, yeah, there's no jump in it. Right. And that's exactly the opposite of, like, I go to let, and they're like, jump, jump. We want to see this big, this jump. And I'm, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, okay, the legs, you know, like, how exactly is this working? And what's totally, what's totally exactly what you just said is that the difference of displacing the haunches, you can, you'll get the lead change, but you flatten it out because you kind of, it, it's the not going to have the powerful jump. The steps over to the inside a little bit. And, um, and, and that is what um, replaces the jump. Whereas yes. in regular dressage, you want the horse to jump right straight, step straight through. Yes. All the way through to the, to the front. Whereas the lead change on the Western horse, you know, you, if you move that hip over, most horses will change. Yeah. Flying, you know, a lead change is one thing, a flying lead change. <laughs> <is another>. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. let me tell you, when I started changing things on Willow, we got some flying lead changes. <laughs> she yeah. was slightly offended that we were changing all the rules, but actually it's been crazy amounts of fun. Because right now, as she is, I can actually switch back and forth and ride her different. So I can put her on a loose rein, ride her the way that I would in like a reining pattern, and I could have her change, you know, in that original way I'd taught her, which was a little bit flatter. But I can also gather her up into both of my reins, and I can bring everything straighter. And she's she's like, "Oh, you want one of these? Okay." Prepare for jump. (laughs) Well, you know, I think there's that that brings up to me something that's really important in the difference in the goals of Western dressage and regular competition dressage. Mm -hmm. The gold standard in regular dressage is this great big warm blood that has a lot of suspension, and they're looking for the maximum expression of the gates. And that's what makes that so beautiful when you see that huge floating trot across the, uh, mm-hmm. the arena or the big jumping pirouettes or uh, flying changes, that kind of stuff. But you take that horse and take him into a, a herd of cattle. <laughs> <I'm not> <laughs> Things are scattering pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. So uh, our stock horses are bred to have quiet gates and to keep their heads low. It doesn't mean they don't engage their haunches. They just keep their shoulders low mm-hmm. to keep a lower profile so that they don't upset the livestock. And when you rope on a horse, you don't want that horse to have his shoulders real high because when that, when that cow hits the end of the, the rope, you, you got to keep the shoulders relatively lower. You got to get <laughs> over. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that makes me a little different from most dressage riders is that I recognize the different needs of the different disciplines as being valid, not one's great and the other's bad, mm-hmm. you know? And so when we're r- working with Western dressage horses, we are looking for an animal that is quiet and comfortable to ride and is useful to ride um, I don't think I would take the average warm blood out and, and I mean, it would be good for their brains to work cows, but I don't know that they'd be particularly good at it. <laughs> um, and likewise, I wouldn't take a, a, a roping bred stock horse who's built 
hip high for a reason. And that reason is so that he can keep his shoulders low and not get pulled over. Um, I wouldn't take that horse in the dressage ring and expect him to do what the warm blood horse does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yet we can still have impulsion from each of those horses. It just translates different. It looks different. Uh, but that you still can get the horse to push through his top line. Well, thank you for seeing the value in both because I think that helps open up the world and it just helps us all realize like I real I totally am with you. I completely agree that there's value in all of these different things and then um you know the horses can benefit from from going out and doing the different jobs but it's also not fair to compare one that's you know a lot of times if you take it back into like the dog world and you're like you know, if you want a herding dog, you probably don't start with a lab, you know, like it's like certain dogs were bred to be certain ways and we've done that with horses and that's just fair to observe some of those differences. And then it's fun to play and try to break rules and stuff, but not at the expense of the horse by judging it against, you know, a different breed that's standard or different competition I see standard. people that have horses that are confirmationally not well suited for upper level dressage. Mm-hmm. They have this shining goal in front of them. Yep. And, you know, I'm not going to tell them, get a different horse. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say to them, be realistic on what you can expect from your horse. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't be unfair because if you are unrealistic, you're going to break them down. Right. Mentally and physically. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. If people want to find you online, where can they find you? Ah, well, they can find me at classicallegacy. Excuse me, classicallegacydressage.com. I have a website that it kind of divides up into two. One is the classical side. The other is the Western dressage side. And there's lots of fun pictures and actually some video and things like that on there to kind of give you a taste. Very good. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Francis Carbonell or on Classical Legacy Dressage. And I also have a little um, plug to make for uh, a triumvirate that I've been working with with Simone Windler and Jill Lee. We have a, a uh, a company called um, Equestrian Freestyle. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of fun des- designing freestyle. Jillian is an extraordinary musician, and she has all the bells and whistles technology to do wonderful music editing. And Simone is a, is a Western dressage and a regular dressage judge, so she understands how to uh, create things from the standpoint of the judge so that it's easy to judge and, you know, you maximize your horse's strong points and minimize his weak points. Mm-hmm. And then there's me who likes the theater. <laughs> <laughs> so we try to put stuff together that, that is entertaining, but also that can get you the marks. So, you know, those are the fun things that I tinker with. I, you know, I, I, I get bored if I do too, the same thing for too long. So, Well, I definitely want to have you back on for the freestyle episode to talk more about the whole choreography and all of that, because I can definitely tell that you have fun with that. So people can jump on and find you on YouTube and watch some of those videos. And I will put links in the show notes to all of these places so you can jump on and watch. But thank you again for joining me. Well, thank you. It has been really a pleasure, Stacy, and I hope I get to see you this year at Worlds again. Well, Total Saddle Fit has the cinch that you've been looking for for your Western dressage saddle. The shoulder relief cinch actually changes the position and angle of the billets to prevent the saddle tree from interfering with the shoulder. The center of the cinch is set forward to sit in the horse's natural girth groove, while the sides of the cinch are cut back to meet the billets two inches behind where the horse's natural girth groove lies. This brings the latigos from angling forward to becoming perpendicular to the ground, which reduces the saddle's tendency to be pulled forward into the shoulders. With horses that have shoulder interference without angled billets, it simply moves the billets back to keep the saddle further away from the shoulders. The secondary benefit is 
To this shape is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. You can find the shoulder relief cinch at totalsaddlefit.com. That's totalsaddlefit.com. Thanks again to Diney Swanson, Simone Windler, and Francis Carbonell for joining me on today's show. In next month's episode, we will be discussing straightness. If you're interested in hearing more from me, I have a podcast, and you can find it on your podcast player by searching Stacy Westfall Horse Podcast. Or you could join my private Western Dressage Facebook group. And I also have a YouTube series where you can learn more about Western Dressage, and I've uploaded full tests on there with the judges' comments and the scores shown while you watch me ride the test. You can also find the show notes and links to today's guests on the website at dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Yeah.